And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 88 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Sunday, July 19th, 2015. Well, folks, is it the biggest rock this side of the Kuiper Belt, or is it a dwarf planet? Its surface is filled with a vast emptiness, filled with dark, craggly roots. There's a radioactive heat source at the center, but it doesn't seem to be producing anything except a gas that's billowing out into space like a comet trail. And yes, of course, I'm talking about Donald Trump's head. Hey, see what I did there? No, of course, I'm talking about Pluto, which this week pass- was passed by by NASA's New Horizons spacecraft. It's worth noting that the year that the New Horizon rocket ship launched on its voyage, Google was just purchasing a little startup called YouTube. Facebook changed its user interface and introduced this thing we call the news feed, and we were just getting used to this new MP3 player called the Microsoft Zune. That's right, nine years later... And here we are looking at high-definition pictures of Pluto, 4.6 billion miles away, folks. It's just astounding that we've got spaceships photographing the outer reaches of our solar system. What a time for us to be alive. Imagine what we'll be doing nine years from today. Well, here at PNR, Joe and I, of course, are here to be your celestial content marketing explorers, your Lewis and Clark of content marketing, native advertising, and all things digital media. We'll be your Barnum and Bailey of marketing podcasts, the Cheech and Chong of rants, and the Oscar and Felix of raves. We'll bring you the dumb and dumber of content marketing fails and the Chip and Dale of hot, sexy content marketing success. We'll be the Gilbert and Sullivan of these old marketing examples and the Lenny and Squiggy of content goodness. So let's get this Lone Ranger and Tonto train moving. And for that, it's time for me to introduce my friend, my colleague, my good, good friend, the Beavis to my butthead, the Pinky to my brain, the Starsky to my hutch, the star, the content marketing solar system revolves around Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? I am. uh, I'm simply fantastic. I don't think I could be any better. (laughs) Wow. That is... That is some kind of well. Uh, we just we right, just had then. our our wonderful team retreat. It was great. It Nobody died. Which no, is well, that was that was a plus. That was a plus. Though that one picture of you flying up in the air uh, was um, was enough to make anybody nervous. I, I was suspect. pretty close to that boulder. I mean, I could have hit the rock, and then we we'd be. I don't know. You'd be doing the solo boulder. I wonder kiss. if that's you would what ca- the, that's 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 what they're calling it a boulder, right? A boulder. <laughs> Pretty close to that boulder. Now, if I was gone, would you continue? Would you keep going with this? Or with the would boulder? It just be, no. no. <laughs> with the show. Oh. <laughs> it would just be R. It would just be NR. It would just be NR. This dead yes. marketing. No, it, it would. would you are. No, like I said, you are the Beavis to my butthead. You are the Starsky to my hutch, buddy. Uh, I would never I, go on without you. I are you are I you butthead or am I on. am I butthead? No, let's not even go there. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So oh. yeah, so do we have uh, do we have some news? This we week do or? actually have. It is July, folks. So it is a slow news week, but we actually do have some news. Um, the top of the show here. Uh, first uh, article comes to us uh, courtesy of Adweek. 
And it's interesting, new study from Google um, about video and the headline of this article is the demand for how-to content on YouTube is on the rise. Uh, The article starts out by saying plenty of publications have taken advantage of the digital medium to provide how-to guides for the internet. However, video is one of the best mediums to get this kind of content out there. It seems consumers understand this, and this new report from Google says that more and more people are turning to YouTube search for how-to videos. Indeed, some of the most popular channels Channels on YouTube provide tutorials on how-tos on just about anything you can imagine. And I think one of the interesting things here, and I'm, I totally want to get your take on this, Joe, is the how high the percentage in this report. Now, we have to take this with a little bit of a grain of salt because this is Google actually saying this. But they're saying that 67% of the millennials, basically young people, agree that they can certainly find anything that they're looking to do on YouTube to learn anything they want to learn. I mean, is this the new way that we're going to... How, you know, learn how to do stuff like everything from bake a cake to change a tire to fix a car or, you know, anything like that. I mean, is this, is this really it? No, it's interesting. I had, this was, uh, not yesterday, but the night before. And I had a couple things that I had to look up and I, I bo- both of the how to videos I got from YouTube, I did exactly what this article said. I don't even think it's millennials. I think it, it could be most of the internet. That's doing this. I mean, yeah, do, do you right. when do you go when you have to go search for a how to? Are you going directly to Google, or do sometimes do you go directly into YouTube? I actually go to Google, and interestingly enough, that and 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 maybe this is why this didn't resonate with me quite as much. The first thing I look for is actually not a video. I actually, you know, depending on what I'm looking for, of course. But the first thing I actually look for is a step by step, step by step with yeah. with picture with images. exactly yeah. right with images, so that I can actually read. And quite frankly, what I want to do is I go to step eight or nine or ten or you know toward the end and go, did they get to the place that I want to be right? <laughs> So I sort of vet out what the how-to is. You know, it's like, does that look like what I'm trying to do? And then I go back and start following the directions. And with a video, it's a little harder to do that because you got to sort of skip around. Well, what's interesting – so we had this conver- – were you in the room when we had this conversation when we were on our retreat when we were talking about YouTube? I'm sure I wasn't. Okay. I'm sure I was blotto in, a, in the pool somewhere it's with Something like that. So anyways, face, yes. we, we were talking about this issue. So we were, sent, we were talking about our search engine optimization and how we were doing really well. We have got 150 – Keywords that we target on a, on a revolving basis, some drop off, but for the most part, we're on page one or upper part of page one on every one of them. So it's going fantastic. And then we really talked about we've got a clear gap because the number two search engine, which is YouTube, we're falling apart. I don't say we're falling apart. I want to be nice about it. We're missing an opportunity. Sure. Oh, that's that really way. interesting. Because we have been so Google-focused, yeah, we haven't right. been thinking about, well, look, well at all right. these searches yeah. that are, yeah, look at all these searches that are going on YouTube, and we're missing out on that. And here's the thing. We have tons of video, but we're just not optimizing it for search. So we were just thinking, yeah, okay, yeah, I totally get this whole how-to play, but our whole, I mean, maybe this is a bit business-to-business focus, even though there's a lot of B2B opportunities when it comes to how-to. We were like, let's target those same 150 keywords and look at where we're positioned on YouTube and see if there's an opportunity to look at the assets we have right now and fit them in, optimize them, and then we have got that problem solved because right now we're hurting in that area. That's what I thought of when I read this article. Well, that's a, I mean, that's a really, that's a really interesting example. I mean, it goes to sort of the whole content repurposing and reuse idea, which is don't just create the video or the sort of step-by-step, but create both. And, you know, use one in the sort of textual, you know, 
optimized for Google search and, and people like me are going to find it and use it. And then you've got a video version of it that's going to be optimized for YouTube because, well, I mean, we weren't the ones who said this has been said many times that YouTube is the second biggest search engine out there. So, I mean, optimizing for that is a huge, is a huge play but for don't, content. Don't you think, I mean, what's your take on this? I think that when we run into a lot of enterprise marketers, they don't have an issue with the how-to. Actually, they've they've got the how-to thing, especially even on on YouTube, whether it's Google or YouTube search in general. They they feel good about it when somebody types into something that's related to what their product or service does. They they've got something there. But what I think is the problem is is that we've got too many marketers that just focus on this. And I think that if you only have content that focuses on this, you can't differentiate. At the end of the day, you, ha- you can't just do this. I think there was probably a time five, six years ago where you could just be the Wikipedia of your industry and be okay. I don't think that's the case anymore. Do you have a I take th- on that? I do. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, you know, there's there. I think there's two. Uh, there, it's a it's a, a great issue that you bring up, which is, and, and from my perspective, there's sort of a, a two-layered approach to this thing. I, one, I wholeheartedly agree, right? Unless you're, Unless your business is like, how to de-shuck rice husks off of, you know, what? a particular so type of rice. Yeah, well, you know, I thought the Swiffer thing might be a little bit overplayed at this <laughs> point. No, so, keep you know, going. I was I'm going sorry. with rice yeah. husks, right? Yeah. So, you know, something truly niche, right? You know, if you're in the real estate business or you're in the car business or you're in, you know, th- the chances that there is a how-to on how to do what you, you know, you sell is out there is pr- pretty darn high. So differentiating on that is going to be really, really difficult. So... But regardless of that, the the two layers that I often see in this, especially on the B2B side, is one, the how-tos tend to be how to use our product. Right, the the the, the how tos that we're doing are well. Let's let's put our training videos online, or yep. let's put you know our you know how how to use the product online and use that. And that's not the how to that we need to do. That's the. That I mean, it it may be one aspect of a how to we need to do, but it, it the how to is how to do this generally, how to do this thing that your product or service may solve, but it's broader than just your particular product, right? If I just, if you just show your, pro, you know, taking your product apart, well, that's not solving somebody's problem today. That's solving a customer's problem today. And that may or may not be, you know, what you're trying to do. The, the second thing is, the- is just as you're saying, is, is focusing so myopically on 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 how-to videos that we lose some some you know and this is this is true with facts as well right just putting up simple fact sheets or you know those kinds of things or answering effort you know every faq that's not going to be good enough in the long run no i no it's it's right it's like hey we want to solve the customer's problem without talking about our product in any way that's right. So what is the problem itself? And then what are all the, let's say, how-to topics that you would cover? And the solution can't be your product. That's somebody right. else most likely, if you're a large enterprise, somebody else most likely is <laughs> not that you don't want to do them, but you're going to have probably way more popular videos of other people fiddling around with your product. That's right. It's like, you know, I mean, the classic, the one that's coming leaping to mind right now is, of course, HubSpot, right? When HubSpot started out, their website grader and the articles they were writing weren't how to use HubSpot to drive more inbound traffic to your site or whatever you were trying to do. Theirs was how to use SEO techniques or how to use content and how to put out content through email 
that will bring more traffic to your site, independent of whether you used HubSpot or not. Be the trusted advisor. That's yep, it. Absolutely. That's it. And we're going to, as we see in a later article in the, in this show, that's going to be a huge, huge, huge thing. I thought, oh, I thought we were done. I thought we were only going to do one story today. Oh, <laughs> let's do the sponsor bit. No, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. Joe is still on island to, time, folks. Still on so, vacation time. Yeah, there is that's a... All right. It's all right. It's all all good. Is there a rum sitting in front of you right now? (laughs) Because I know that I didn't see you without a rum in front of you. Um, Oh, no. No. I had many beers, too. Don't don't be that (laughs) way. Yeah, don't stereotype me. Don't put me in a box, man. (laughs) I had many different types of alcohol. It wasn't just rum. (laughs) All right. Moving on to our next story, folks. This one is the one we were just talking about here. And it comes to us through a couple of different uh, stories, actually, that we'll pair together because it's just a fascinating thing. So the first one comes to us courtesy of BulldogReporter.com. And the headline here is Consumer Trust Crisis. Companies are excelling in candor, are substantially outperforming the market. And then they link to this uh, thing called the Rittenhouse Study, which we'll also, of course, link to in the show notes, that talks through this idea of candor. So just to start here... Basically, they talk about the Edelman Trust Survey that gets done every single year, and the 2015 version of that is out, and this article talks about how a number of companies have quite simply dropped precipitously in this latest version here. Walgreens, Target, and Coca-Cola dropped the most in the trust rankings, um, and this is interesting given Coca-Cola's and, of course, Walgreens, and, and, and we've talked a little bit about Target as well in the past, they're, they've, they've done some content. It's not that, they're, that they haven't done any content here. But interestingly, the article then goes on and says, no doubt about it, the consumer trust in business, along with government and media, is at an all-time low in America. The 2015 trust barometer reveals that in all institutions reached have the lows of the Great Recession in 2009. So not in the last six or seven years. In fact, since uh, the New Horizons uh, spaceship was about halfway to its planet, um, was the last time that we were at this kind of low of trust. The top-ranked companies, interestingly, outperformed the S&P 500 by an average of 7.4% between the second quarter of 2014 and second quarter of 2015. So is trust important? It would seemingly think so. And this comes from the Rittenhouse Rankings Candor Survey, which is linked to from the Bulldog Reporter article, and talks about how candor, and they define candor, and then I want to get your take on this, Joe, because I know you've you've read this definition and really were uh, quite liking it. They talked about how the top-ranked companies in that, JetBlue, Sony, Humana, these companies were demonstrating accountability and trustworthy leadership that produced tangible results. Um, so what did you think about these two? I thought this was just a fascinating pairing of, of an interesting thing that really at its heart talks about thought leadership and candor and telling a story and taking a point of view. What did you think? What I loved is when I first saw this, I thought of uh, our friend Doug Kessler. And yeah, his, of course. He does. He's actually doing a presentation at Content Marketing World uh, this year called Insane Honesty. And he's making the case. And actually, if he hasn't seen this, we'll have to send it to him because he can bake this into his presentation talking about if you if you totally get rid of all the jargon and you can totally break through the different silos in an enterprise and just be completely human, <laughs> just be right. honest in yep. every way. 
Um, and I love it. So when they talk about negative can, that's the first, I always go to the negative part, of course. So they say to med, they say in this uh, written house report to measure negative candor, analysts deduct points for cliches, euphemisms, contradictory statements, business jargon, which is huge, which is huge and omissions of key ideas or facts. So basically not saying both sides, which a lot of, of course, a lot of the big enterprises we talk to, they just want to give their point of view, not necessarily yep. what's going on yeah, in the industry at large. Um, I think that this is, an, it's interesting that it seems to me that the younger companies do a better job with this. Although when I'm looking at the report, is a really good mixture all the way. When I, I think Honeywell was number two. Yeah. But but literally going through it, you've got of course Southwest Airlines, you've got JetBlue. It's interesting, you know. It's interesting that the airlines, transportation companies, are up here because they have to deal with it probably more than anyone else. <laughs> exactly, because every day <laughs> right? is like a customer service yeah. nightmare for them. Exactly. Uh, and then you've got a lot of financials on the bat. You've of course uh, Charles Schwab was on the like top ranked in candor, and then but you had a lot of fi- big financial companies that are that are not doing very well. On the uh, on the candor side, so but I, in just looking at this, just to kind of round it out, it seems to me that if you want to be trusted and you want to whatever rank on this candor survey, uh, that it, that seems to be important because seven point four percent. I mean, it looks like. I mean, I was looking at how this research was done. It looks like it's a good piece of research. Sure. Seven point four percent in a year is billions of dollars difference. Sure, that's a huge deal. And so, how do you do? So you have to basically learn how to communicate better. So it's all about as we talk about companies can they can copy everything that you do. They can copy your product and your service and your logistics and everything else, but they can't copy your communications yeah i mean and to me and to me what was what was most fascinating about this is 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 a couple of things is one that yeah and 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 to your point the 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 i was not that i had heard of the rittenhouse rankings before but hadn't really looked into it and now will do so with with some zeal um because i really want to understand this better um because it looked really interesting buffett warren buffett uses this um so says the the research anyway and 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 looks at it as as part of what he does from his investment model but the thing that really interests me in the way that these two things were paired together was sort of you have this idea of trust that you're trying to get out there and and you know we've you, I've used the Edelman Trust survey before and and it's been used for some time and this Rittenhouse rankings has been done for about 15 years as well and 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 but paired together this idea of trust and candor so it's not just you know the so to me that what that said is taking a point of view right so so many times when we're trying to be thought leaders in our industry, right? We want to go out and be a thought leader, right? So that's at the heart of many content marketing approaches where we're going to go out and we're going to develop a white paper program or a webinar, education, online training, how-to videos, as we just talked about, all these things that are going to be out there. And the whole idea is is that we want to develop this trusted relationship or trusted sort of perception with our prospective customers by illustrating how wonderful of a thought leader we are and how willing we are to educate the market, uh, yada, yada, yada. But the interesting thing there is that that what we just talked about, this idea of going out with how-to videos, isn't just about listing out the facts, isn't just, we have to actually take a point of view on something. We yep. actually have to be, make a distinct 
a, a point of view about how to do something correctly, how to do something the right way. You know, coming back to inbound, right, it wasn't that basically uh, HubSpot was out there saying, yeah, SEO is kind of good. They were saying, no, this is the future of uh, – they had taken a distinct point of view on this new thing. And this is how to do it the right way, not just how to do it, how to do it the right way, our way. And so the interesting thing, and I think what is kind of backed up by this Rittenhouse ranking, is this idea that if you disagree, it doesn't mean you distrust, and in fact, if you come out with something that is actually has a distinct point of view that some people may disagree with, people may actually trust you more. They may actually trust you. Even if they don't agree with you, they may trust you more. And that's a really interesting place to be in if you're a, if you're a company and a marketer and a communicator. Have you read the book Divergent? Uh, have you read it? I have not. No. Oh, so, okay. It. So uh, real quickly, I won't go in. So in the – there's the, the series, the Divergent series, but – the movie came out already. I think there's another one coming out. But I did read the book series, and in the book, there's basically the people are separated into different houses, and the one house is candor. And you choose based on your personality traits and other things. You choose then which one you want to go for, go with. And the one house was candor. Now these were the the ins- they were honest about everything. They would never lie. They they don't lie at all about anything. And they were the most trusted. And sometimes. People didn't like that, but they were by far the most trusted, the candor group. It's just so interesting because then I'm going through what is candor in this report, and they're saying right. it's executives who prize candor are more likely to shed light into dark places. I love – I just love that. That would – like, that's so perfect. Yeah. It's not just – It's really it, interesting. It's taking a deeper look into something of, of true importance, and it really shapes – obviously, I think we're going to talk about this in a second, but then it really shapes the culture of the organization if you take it that next step. Well, that's a really great segue because then sort of, you know, in the trio of pairing, if that's even the right way to say it, um, what we did was we found this other interesting article, also interestingly enough from Bulldog Reporter, um, which this article, uh, the headline of it is, Beyond the Brand, Culture Takes the Lead as Primary Driver of Long-Term Business Relationships. And the way this article starts out is basically saying, in the age of transparency, which we've just been talking about, a strong corporate culture has become the primary driver of long-term business relationships. This is a new study um, that was looked at 500 executives, director level or above, and conducted by the Fortune Knowledge Group in collaboration with uh, the global ad agency. I guess it's Gyro or Giro. Gyro. Um, Gyro. Uh, Gyro. Mm-hmm. The report's called uh, Beyond the Brand, Why Business Decision Makers Buy into Strong Cultures, has found that the business decision makers are placing greater significance on a business partner's culture than ever before. This is really important in the B2B space, obviously. And they come up with these key findings, and we, I'll go through them very briefly, and then I want to get what your highlights were, Joe, here, was the key findings were that the things that the, va- the executives valued most were companies that – stood for something. 60% of the executives said that knowing that what a company stands for is much more important than choosing a corporate partner, whether it's innovative or dominates its market, etc. Two, dialing up the soul of your business. 80% of respondents said that a successful company's biggest idea is often the one on which it was built. So finding that soul within the business. Three, living by your principles. 81% of the executives felt that companies that are successful at building long-term relationships make the direct correlation between what they believe in and the way that they conduct their business. 
for sharing your goals. 85% of the respondents said that they want to see the company's purpose and values with key stakeholders. And then lastly, strong relationships are worth the sacrifice. 68% of the respondents said that it was worth making short-term financial sacrifices to cultivate a long-term relationship. I thought those were just, I mean, that, those I mean, we see a lot of that in sort of corporate mission statements and all that sort of thing, but the culture within an organization that can stand up to some of those five things is a really interesting thing. And that's, I, I truly believe that content marketing can be a driver of those values in an organization. If we can sort of get behind content marketing from that lens, it's a really interesting way to shift culture marketing and then to sales and then sales to customer service and then customer service and beyond it. I think it can be a culture-changing type of initiative. Well, I think I can't tell which you how – Which is why it interested me so much. Which is why this, well, interest, this article interested me so much. Well, I, I can't tell you how many people have come to me and said, hey, we need a culture track at Content Marketing World because of the whole idea that if you want to change your culture in some way or – um, you know, change the organization. You know, whether it's internal silos or, or something um, that the, that the customer may or may not be aware of, you need to have a substantial content marketing strategy. Yeah, and this right? first thing, yeah, this first thing stand for something. I think when I when I put together Epic Content Marketing, and we talked about the six principles of Epic Content Marketing, the one thing was you needed to it has the content has to stand for something it can't be middle of the road content it can't right. just exactly. we just talked about this right you can't just say oh this is report the news let's say that's not your job to report the news what your job is to say this is really important take a stand and you may not actually be liked by everyone this is why i think it's so tough for enterprise marketers to do this because i was just working with a very large company and it's very hard for them to do this because they've got the public relations folks and the public affairs folks. And every time the content group wants to do something, they get shut down. They're like, no, 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 no. Right. We can't do that. Exactly. Oh, the backlash to that. Stakeholders wouldn't like it. That's too risky. Well, you know, obviously there's the opportunity too, but a lot of companies see this as too risky. And that's why, you know, they're not, they're not changing their culture. And I think it goes back to the other thing. I mean, if you look at, Look at JetBlue um, with it, where they had the, what was it the one time where they had the we talked about it on this show where the the one guy uh, just said uh, some sometimes the crazy news is about us or something right, you talk about exactly. it in your workshops yeah in the workshops yeah it's just like and they just came out and just said hey look this happened and this is you know sometimes it is about us and they just came out and and were ba- very very honest about the whole thing and of course they stand for something and they stand for a better way. Um, to do things, and they'll tell you straight out how that is. So I don't know. It's it's just that you can't do this. That's why I love these five things because <laughs> you can't do any of this stuff if you don't have a prolonged, consistent content marketing strategy. So the fit is there, but I don't know if the people that are talking about culture change have any idea about what content marketing is. Yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, it's you know, so I mean, we've said it ad nauseum, I, I guess, at this point, but basically different. You know, being different is is not about being incrementally better, right? It's not about having one more feature or one more white paper or one more blog post than your competitor. It's about doing something different. Sally Hogshead says this wonderfully. I mean, it's one of those quotes that I'm like, damn it, I wish I had been the one to say that. But she says this wonderfully where she says, different is better than better. And it's, it's, it's so true. It's having a point of, you know, being... Being right for someone means being wrong for someone else. And until we're willing to be wrong for someone else, 
we won't be right for as many people as we could be right for. That's so good. And Anne Hanley talks about that all the time when she presented at uh, Brian Clark's conference. She was she was basically saying, we really do want people not to like us, and that's okay. Right. <laughs> we exactly. really should focus on focus on being great for your audience and and them. And and if you do that, if you really want to be great for your core audience, you're not going. There's a certain group that's not going to like you, and that's right. okay. And actually, we want that. But it, it's hard to it's hard to look at all your customers and say, no, we're we're not going to focus on these, and we're going to just have to push that revenue to the side because they're not for us. That's right. It's hard to do that. A lot of companies don't want to do that. That's right. All right, moving on to our next story here. And this one is a really interesting. It comes to us from uh, our friends at AdAge. And I thought this was just interesting because, one, because of the – it's just a good reminder to know – especially as I was putting together the introduction of the show and I was thinking about how small we are in the solar system, much less how small we are in the galaxy, how small we actually are in the whole marketing and advertising economy. Yeah, exactly. So, so this comes to us from AdAge. It is, what is the top 200 U.S. advertisers? What are they doing to spend smarter? And the way the article opens up by saying, U.S. ad spending for the 200 leading national advertisers rose just a slim 2.0% in 2014. But the story isn't that all marketers are pulling back. They're spending smarter. So AdAge's annual LNA report provides more evidence about how blue-chip marketers are getting more bang for their bucks and it's billions of bucks, folks, um, by doubling down on digital, taking unnecessary costs out of marketing. And that's the one that fascinated me most, and I'll get to that in a minute. But basically, they go through this study, and it's a, it's a longish article. It's totally worth the read here. I think the thing that I would love to get your take on this, Joe, is, is I think the thing that just, I mean, it was amazing to me. I mean, total U.S. ad spending for the top 200 advertisers reached a record $137 billion in 2014. $137 billion spent on advertising. And you start looking at the top 200, these are companies that spend $4 billion a year, $6 billion a year, those sorts of things. It's, it's just really, really interesting when you start talking about and thinking about how much money is getting spent and then when they're when and and the big thing was our digital budget rose from two percent to thirteen percent. So we're st- businesses are still spending mostly eighty five percent of their budget on traditional advertising, television, print, media space. It's it's digital is still a very very 20, 2015, We're taking pictures, high def pictures of Pluto, but digital is still less than fifteen percent of the budget. It's so it is so crazy. This this is a way it's a wake up call every year when they do this. I'm like, are you kidding me? So just a couple stats. You mentioned 200 advertisers spending 137 billion. Now, if you look at the Custom Content uh, uh, Council's report that they do every year, and they talk about how much spending is going on in the content marketing industry, and I don't even know if it's this high, but they'll say it's around 44 billion. So let's just say if we believe that's to be true. Right. The entire content marketing industry in North America at $44 billion, and the top 200 advertisers are spending right. $140 billion Exactly. On just advertising. So it's just, it's just interesting to see that. So a couple things that I thought was interesting. Um, internet display d- tumbled 13%. 
We yeah. just talked about this, the, the fact that in a couple of years, there might not be anything like internet display advertising. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And why everybody, of course, why native advertising dun, 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 is so hot is because of that, that, that very thing, that the way that everything's going to mobile in that standpoint. And yeah, the, the thing that killed me is, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Television is still huge. Oh, it's huge. It's just enormous. I mean, and, and, and then interestingly, how much media plays into that, right? How much media and the purchase, pay, basically the paid of our paid, owned, and earned media strategy here, how much of that pays into this. And, and because the fascinating thing to me, when, they get, when you get down below all the statistics and you start getting into the meat of, okay, what does this actually mean? What, does, you know, what are some of the implications of this? One of the fascinating ones to me was how many are looking at pulling in some of the traditional agency services such as creative and basically non-media buying services in-house. Many of those, you know, are talking about how they're buying and quote unquote spending smarter, including P and G, who's quoted as there saying we're moving, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna be moving and simplifying the number of agencies we're working with and how we're working with those agencies. And many other brands, including some of the ones that are quoted in this article, talk about how they're gonna be moving creative and strategy and some of these services in-house to 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 their own their their own internal teams. And I think this is to me, this is a you know canary in the coal mine, if you will, for you know when you're thinking about careers, where agencies are are have have gotten so wrapped up in this sort of huge belonging to the monolith um, and and providing these sort of monolithic services that are themselves not really differentiated out there. That it's starting to become a bit, you know, a bit commoditized, and it's it's a it, it's it's a real it's a real wake up call for these agencies. I th- I think we're going to start seeing, um, you know, the, the the much more boutique agencies become part of and joined up with sort of individual brands as we go forward here. You know, so <clears throat> as the purchase? Capital One the Capital One relationship with Adaptive Path is a mm-hmm. great example of this, right? Where they acquired Adaptive Path, a UX, UI design, digital savvy company, to basically become the internal provider of those kinds of services for the brand. So we've been talking a lot about the idea of these companies with all the cash that they're spending on advertising and the hoarding of the, their cash that they have uh, you know, ready to go and ready to spend. We've been talking about them buying media companies. You also see, do you see it as an equivalent trend for them, for agencies to be purchased? Is it, is this like another, just in, in the form of, Hey, we want to be, we need to simplify this. We need to get our arms around it. We don't want to necessarily pay somebody outside. We want to get that skill set internal. They're going to buy the agencies. What do you think? Is it more? Is it less? No, I think it's related, related. but I, I, you know, so it's, it's, it's their, I, th- I think it's one of those things. I, th- I think the agency thing is the short term, um, and and perhaps the media companies are the longer term. It's a skill set gap that's getting closed right now more than anything else. You know, this the number of people that are needed to make these things really shine is high. And so the number of highly skilled people that you need, and quite frankly, there's a talent gap right now out there. 
um, in terms of digital and what is needed to make digital really effective. Um, and, and, you know, you can see it, you know, you can see it certainly in the cities that are, that are fast growing, the San Francisco's, the New York's, Chicago's, Atlanta's, there are talent gaps right now for, for, for people who really understand digital, really understand data, really understand creative and telling stories. And those, those jobs are going to become really, really, uh, core to what, brands need to get their hands around. Now, whether they get that through outsourcing through an agency, buying it or acquiring it, I, I think it's going to be a combination of all of it, I guess. It's, it, there's a, but a couple. And the end of this article is my favorite because there's, there's two things that I was looking at. The, the growth in ad spend year over year is happening heavy, heavy pharma, heavy travel. It's right. just really, yeah. it really just pops out at you. Wow. Heavy, the really competitive areas, they are going all out on spending. But then right after that, there's an interview with the L'Oreal's uh, chairman and CEO talking about how the newer brands that they've launched that really didn't have any, um, you know, any cultural issues from the past, any spending patterns that they had, they basically aren't spending anything on advertising. The newer well, brands. Yeah, and here's an interesting thing. So the, I actually went, I found that piece of the article and I was fascinated with it because I went, all right, well, that's that's really interesting. What are they doing? Because yeah, you'll I notice in the article. Yeah, the, you'll notice in the article what he says is that, that things, I think, I'm going to mess up the quote a little bit, but I think he says things that we would normally look at as marketing, they don't look at as marketing. In other words, store-level sorts of things. And I was like, well, that perked my ears up. And so I actually went out and sort of did a little research on those two brands. I did, uh, uh, what is it, J, J something and, um, and, and Mac um, were, the two, were the two that I looked at. And the interesting thing there was, I'm pulling it up. Oh, Joe Malone. Joe Malone, thank you. Um, and I actually pulled it. There's a Wall Street Journal, and we'll put this link into the show note, that talks about the growth of those two brands in particular. And they started out, and there's a quote in there from the CEO um, of, uh, of Estee Lauder there who talks about these are small but strong brands, and here's, here's the kicker. I love this quote. He says, these are strong brands with a story, an idea, a point of view, and consumers love them. And so these are small, individualized, artisanal, if you will, brands that are personalized, that are showing person and have experiences at the local level that you can go in and have. And this is the reason they're growing so fast is because they're creating these sort of highly experiential sorts of ideas with products to support that. And that's a really interesting idea. That, in other words, they're sort of finding scale in small, right? It's a it's a it's a it's a fascinating trend to me. That's a that that's a quote that we have to like put on some wall or something somewhere. That's, finding scale in small. <laughs> it, no, the whole idea of if yeah. you have a story, if you have a point of view, if you have these things, it's a it's a differentiation point, and you don't yeah. maybe you don't have to play the game of advertising. Yeah, it's true. That everyone else is. We just talked about in pharma and and. Uh, Pharma, it's, it's tough in pharma because all the regulations and so. But travel, boy, is that crazy going on right now with with the in the travel industry? So, anyways, yeah, yeah exactly. good stuff. So we have a sponsor. We have a we have a beautiful, wonderful, lovely sponsor. We should talk about. We absolutely do. And this old marketing this week, 
the IG88, uh, this whole marketing, when you said that. This is number 88, correct? 88. Oh, I, I immediately, the Ocho, thought the Ocho. The, immediately thought of the new Star Wars coming out because of that. Um, this old marketing is sponsored by our good friends at Acrolinks, a platform that helps the world's most recognized brands create more engaging, more readable, and more enjoyable content. It's offering a new report, the Global Content Impact Index, or Fantastic shorter, report. the GCII. Could be a thing. They could do this next year. We'll be they all could. anticipating, when's the next report coming out, the GCII? When's, when's the GCII MMXXLL42? Exactly. Yeah, that's it. Which shares the results of this detailed analysis <laughs> in the world of content. Using a proprietary linguistic analytics engine, I think they used Acrolinks to do I'm this. Guess it's, that that's the, the proprietary software. linguistics engine that they used. I'm I'm almost positive. Yeah, uh, it's software reviewed 150,000 individual public-facing web pages from 340 companies around the world, and that represents 20 million sentences and over 160 million words. And I think we talked about like last episode that you and I had a hand in something. We actually just went through like two sentences. That's, uh, that's, as, far that's right. as, as far as you and I got. That's we right. said, this we is just, too, yeah. just too much. We couldn't handle it. But, <laughs> but you would need to go, if you haven't, so we've talked that's about this. That's where you need that proprietary linguistics engine. Exactly. Really. Yeah. So we, this, is, this report is perfect for anyone that has a global customer, global audience base of any Huge kind. important. You need to download this. The results are a little bit surprising. Go to bit.ly.com slash acrolinks. Yep. That's with it. With an X at the end, acrolinks-global-index. That's bit.ly.com slash acrolinks-global-index. It will be in the iTunes notes. It will also be in the show notes that we send on Saturday. And special thanks again to our wonderful sponsor. I think Acrolinks is a two- or three-time sponsor of this show. So uh, we Thank love them. So Thank much. you so oh, much. We love them so you much. You got they're, it. They're, Absolutely. Yeah, if you're looking for a business case for – if you're a global content manager and you're looking to – scale your content you know part of your business this is a great business case document for it because it just shows the benefits of you know and and how everybody else is really challenged with this it's a it's a it's a it's a great document really absolutely all right folks it is your favorite part of the show it's our rants and rave section where we go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave on something that makes us say you know we feel like an icy rock out in the Kuiper Belt, or it makes us feel like saying, it's not the despair, I can take the despair, it's the hope I can't stand. All right, we have some rants and raves, and I guess I'm going for, or no, you're going first mm-hmm. here. I've got you a have first. This old, I you have this, this old, old market. I did. I, I pulled double duty this week. Since uh, <laughs> <laughs> Double duty? <laughs> I had to find a this old marketing example. We need our we need more this old marketing examples from our wonderful audience. So hashtag, hashtag us up, folks. Hashtag this old marketing. Send us what you got. That's right. Uh, we're on. Yeah, this is our eighty eighth this old marketing example. Uh, oh, actually, we're not. I'm not doing this old marketing. I'm doing. Uh, I'm see. I'm all over the place. I told you we're doing uh, this old marketing at the end, and then yeah. mine. I'm doing. You know what? It's interesting. I've done a lot. <laughs> Hey, stop. <laughs> have another stop. drink, buddy. Stop laughing. All right. Yeah, I mean, there have been some effects from the trip. I, I won't lie to you on that one. I've done a lot of, um, let's say, not so nice uh, rants on Facebook. But this one is a rave, believe oh, it or not. Fantastic. And I think that we could all learn a lot from this. So I'm on, you know, I'm perusing Facebook a little bit. 
And right there, and this has been multiple times that they're promoting people to follow. You know, on the right-hand side of your Facebook page, they said, yep. you know, suggested people to follow. Yep. Well, you know who was, uh, who's been in my su- suggested people to follow for many days now? Who's that? Mark Zuckerberg. Is that right? That is correct. They want me to follow Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg has thirty over 33 million followers as of this recording. And what's really interesting, and I'm like, okay, that's interesting that they want me to follow the CEO of Facebook. That's okay. Let, let me go see what he's – well, what's really interesting, that's not the, the – I think that's interesting. The rave part of this is that he, there's a content strategy behind his postings. So I've, I've been going back into time. So every, uh, every couple weeks, he does a book review. There's a book review, and it's, it's sort of off, uh, off topic a little bit. This last one was, uh, was called um, – on Energy. It's called Energy by Vaclav Smil and uh, did one a couple months. But they're, they're all sort of interesting on scientific topics or things that he finds interesting. And then he'll go and he'll talk about the news, and then he'll go into social issues. I mean, but it's almost consi- – I was like, is there some kind of pattern to this? It's – and I'll, I didn't go back. I only went back a couple months. But there's consistency in the posting, and there's a pattern as what kind of uh, stories he's trying to tell and the point of view that they're trying to come at and position you know, Facebook and Mark as you know, something different than maybe they are already, already looked at. But the, the idea that they're building, he's building his own audience of 33 million, million you know, on behalf of Facebook uh, and you know, mixing in some really cool things about what the employees are. That's what's interesting, too, because every like three or four posts, he'll post something about Facebook employee did this, something awesome, which I think is interesting, too. I, so I just thought that that was amazing that they're really focused on using Mark Zuckerberg as an audience builder, and they actually have a content strategy behind him. So I, Are you going to give Mark Zuckerberg a smooch? <laughs> All right, I'm done now. I just, <laughs> you, hey, you know how many... How, I've probably I know done, it's very, very cool. I've probably very, done 100 cool. presentations in the last year where I've been all over the place saying, look... You know, don't don't go you don't build your house on rented land. We talk about it all the right. time. Make sure, you know, make sure that you're building your audience outside of Facebook. Use Facebook in order to build your own proprietary audience. But in this case, I really like how this uh this Mr. Zuckerberg person is uh, is using Well, there's the no platform. doubt he's a very smart man. There's 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 little doubt about that. That that guy has done well for himself. I think that there's a group behind. I mean, there's. I think. This oh, I is think you're right. I think you're plan. absolutely right. Well, you I know think what? They, I, another thing that they did. This was on June 30th. They did a Q and A session. Yeah. He basically on Facebook did it for an hour or so, and he responded to as many questions as he could over that period of time. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's. I smart. know you're. You don't sound like you're happy with this. I know. I'm very happy no. with it. I'm glad. No, I'm, I don't you think know you what it is it. most. You know what it is mostly. I'm. I'm. I'm happy. You're happy. That's. I'm, I'm, that is, that's what makes me the happiest. Is when, when you're a happy guy, it makes me happy. Yeah, we were, I was right. We should have just done the one news <laughs> thing and have been done with it. But now we've gone on and we've ruined everyone's day. No, no. <laughs> oh, dear. All right. what, do you Let's, have a rant or a rave I, this do, I have a rave, actually. It's a very, very short one. Um, and it's basically... So the article that we'll link to in the show notes comes from uh, from Ad Age. Um, seems like this has been the Ad Age show, but anyway, the 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 article talks about uh, Comic Con, which of course has happened over the last couple of weeks here, and we didn't really cover it very much here. Um, but it is just 
an amazing place for lessons in content marketing, creating experiences, creating an experience around brands that is just bar none some of the most passionate user-generated content and user um, experiences that, that is out there. The article is a really interesting one, which is, which is what is brands can learn from the spectacle that is Comic-Con and talks a lot about um, these things and the, and the lessons in the article. And the, and the, and the rave is basically – the article's nice. It's a really, really good article um, that talks through these lessons. But the rave is more about the idea of Comic-Con itself. Um, the, the lessons that the article goes through is talking about native experiences where marketers would be wise to bring the publishing world's concept of native advertising to life. I, just, I thought that was a really interesting concept, bringing the concept of native advertising to life offering experiences that blend a brand's product and message into the overall feel of an event. And this is something that Comic-Con, of course, does in spades. And really, media companies understand how to bring the excitement. Think about the behind-the-scenes footage of Star Wars. Here is a six-minute film that shows nothing but behind-the-stage, behind-the-scenes footage and got everybody once again frothing at the mouth uh, for the for the new Star Wars films, keeping customers engaged by giving them an element of surprise is the second one, and then pop ups, which I thought was an interesting one, which he talks about allowing customers to take part in a brand experience, basically like giving them the ability to drive a BMW or making it and uh, uh, giving them an experience of your brand while you can sort of embed it again in this giant event. And so, to me, it's this wonderful, wonderful example of brand experiences because this event, a lot of people don't know that this event has been around forever. Since 1970, this event, has been, Comic-Con, has been around. It started out as this very, very geek focus called the San Diego West Coast Comic Convention um, in 1972 after they'd actually run it a couple of years as just a mini-con to sort of build up interest in it. And it became the San Diego Comic-Con uh, Convention in 1973 and has basically been growing steadily ever since, but really focused on... The masquerade, as they call it, which are people showing up in costumes and, and brand costumes. But it always started as this idea of branded media, which people were so in love with, so subscribers to the brand, pulling in and making them a part of the – giving them a part, a feeling that they are part of the experience. And I think that's such a powerful thing that we can strive to as marketers. You know, because is it South by Southwest? If you think about it, South by Southwest doesn't really have an identity outside of the idea of parties. Nobody goes to South by Southwest to feel a part of the brands that are there. And it used to be South by Southwest when it was music, you did feel a part of that Austin-based music. But it's sort of lost that idea. And what I love so much about what Comic-Con has done is that it has taken the commercial, the idea of purely commercial things, which are media brands, comic books, science fiction, startups in many cases, and let fans sort of become a part of expressing their love and their appreciation for those commercial brands. I just, I love it. I thought it was a, a wonderful idea and sort of the inspiration for my rave there comes from the from the from that article. So so that's my rave this week. Speaking of that, is uh, did you see Ant-Man yet? It's out, isn't it? I haven't seen it. No, well, we've been away for a week, but yeah, I'd really, really want to see it. That's right. I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to really see it later this it. week with my youngest, so we'll, uh, I'll, yeah. we'll see how that goes. All right, yeah. I have now. This is, now is the time for this old marketing and uh, I wanted to give a shout out here to Austin Talbert. So this is author of this article from Business to Community. I this is 
I'm going to print this out. It's hard to do this justice, um, Robert, because this is a visual. This is an infographic. So this is yeah. a corporate infographic from Walt Disney, first seen in 1957. And I need to print this out, and I'm going to study it, and we'll make sure that we put it in the post on Saturday, of course, in the in the show notes as well. Basically, this was a, this is a content marketing strategy from 1957 from Disney, and from what, from what I can tell, they are still following this today. So it goes through, and it has the different assets. So in the middle, if you can visualize, in the middle they have the creative talent uh, of the, the of the theatrical films, is sort of the big blob in the middle, and then it goes out and has uh, arrows going to all these different areas. So it has an arrow from that, and it goes to Walt Disney Magazine. Oh, nice. And then Walt Disney Magazine, it has what the goal is. It says plugs Disneyland, provides art, and then Disneyland provides article material to the magazine. That it has their comic books, plugs the film. Like oh, it just, great. it is just, and of course they have little Mickey running back and forth, and Donald Duck sitting on the top of publications, and they have comic strips, they have the merchandise and licensing, and then they have the music division, which is not, it's not too dissimilar of of Disney Today, just a lot of different channels. Yeah. But what I love about it is, in every one, they're very clear on what the corporate objective is, and then how they're going to extract the asset and push that back into another distribution mechanism. And I, it's just That's fantastic. fantastic, and it's. Oh. 1957. Oh, that's just wonderful. So yeah, it's just I I saw this and uh, and I was like, wow, this is something you don't see very often. And, and even if a company today had something like this, it would be super valuable just so you could see it. And I was thinking about even for us and looking at you know we just had our big meeting. We're talking about you know Content Marketing Institute, Content Marketing yeah. World, and the yeah. different things that we do to drive to certain places. That even sometimes internally gets a little bit confusing as to what certain things do and what the purpose is. I think this would be helpful for for anybody doing a content marketing strategy that you can it then will get it. that bad boy up. Oh. oh. Of course, I can't draw worth anything, but we have. Well, I know. Luckily, people. we have somebody who can. I know people, yeah. and you know, and I, I got a I think guy. That person I got is a listening. guy. Yeah, we got a guy. We got we a guy. Got a guy. So it's a really good uh, this whole marketing example, and we'll make nice. sure we put that in the show notes so everybody can see it. Very nice. All right, so you're off this week. What are I you got doing a, this week? A couple, couple days off. Uh, hanging, still hanging out with some friends, doing All some right, things. Uh, I've got a couple webinars this week that I'm doing, and we're 50 days out. I think today. We are exactly 50, as we record this, 50 days out from Content Marketing World. Very and, nice. And uh, we're ramping up for the, for the big show. So how about you? Uh, I head off uh, on Tuesday. I head to um, uh, Seattle, and I'm visiting with a client there, helping them with their content marketing initiative and coming back. Um, and then on Saturday, I fly to Sydney. I'm off to Sydney and Singapore. Wow. Yet, yes, again. Yeah. So I'm uh, speaking at the Adobe Symposiums there, um, Adobe Symposium Sydney, and then Adobe Symposium uh, in Sydney. So, or excuse me, Singapore. So I'll be so, I'll, and then I'll be back. I'll be back for the weekend. Wow. Oh, so we'll have to record. I'll be here in the states, and you'll be. In Asia Pacific, we'll have to figure that one out for our recording. All right. Yeah. No. Of course. Yeah. We'll figure yeah. that out. Well, yeah, I mean, it's I'd... just usually when we go to Sydney, you know, you and you know, you yeah, invite, you invite you invite me That's to right. go with you. This time, I must have got lost in the mail. Yeah. Or something. Uh, well, uh, you know, I mean, it's Adobe. They love me. <laughs> they love you, <laughs> not you, Joe. Not you, Joe. Not you. So not so much. It's your attachment to Mark Zuckerberg that they had a problem with. Oh, I that's, see, that's I knew it was going to come back and bite me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that is it, folks. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose signing off. And you know, 
As Joe said, we could use some of this old marketing examples, and we love those story ideas. We know it's July. We know you're on vacation. But as you're surfing the web, hashtag us up, won't you? This old marketing. And, you know, if you got a question or you just want to send an email, thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode number 88, we do hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links are on the show notes available at thisoldmarketing.com that we publish on Saturday. And, of course, they'll also be available within the iTunes feed itself. That is it, folks. So remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.